What's up, church? Man, y'all act like y'all are running an hour ahead of what you usually do. Anybody in here tired yet? Yes? Yeah, okay. Well, hey, uh, we're grateful to have you guys. I have a feeling that uh, our uh, 10 o'clock service is going to be especially full today with people trying to make it to the 830. And so uh, we're grateful that you made the opportunity uh, to, to get here, and uh, we pray that it's a blessing to you. We are on our fifth and final week of this series called Take a Vow, and I encourage you uh, to grab a pen. Hopefully there's one right in front of you, and take some notes uh, because uh, I think that this is just a spectacular week as we look at the fourth and final character in this story in Genesis chapter 24. If you haven't uh, been with us, uh, then I encourage you uh, to please go on our website uh, and check out the other uh, sermon uh, weeks. They're all up on video or audio, and you can use those to listen uh, or watch and try to catch up. But I think this is one of the coolest series that we've done since Stone Point started. I've just really enjoyed seeing the picture and the culmination uh, as just kind of the wedding picture between us and our Heavenly Father. And then not only that, just how it all plays out in this awesome story in Genesis chapter 24. Let me just kind of remind you who the characters are. Uh, week one, uh, we looked at the correlation between a Jewish wedding and our relationship to the Father uh, and to what it looks like to have a, a relationship with God. And we see just how he's pursued us and wanted a relationship with us and then what he expects from us. And we're going to kind of kind of hit on that today. And so like if you look at today, I encourage you to go back to just look at week one and take a vow to kind of see the correlations. It's really incredible. But week two, we talked about a guy named Abraham, and he's the father of the nation of Israel. And uh, he is uh, uh, kind of a main character in this story as he begins to look uh, to find a bride for his, for his son. And uh, he uh, needs to, to make something there. But we see uh, just in his life that he's a covenant-keeping type of guy, that he is a man of his oath, a man of his word. And then not only that, but he just wants all the nations of earth to be blessed through his seed. And he knows that's going to have to come through the promise, which is his son Isaac. And Isaac's the next character in the story. Isaac, if you look at him, uh, at first glance of the story, there's not a lot there. But as you begin to really dig up the research uh, throughout the Old Testament, you see that Isaac is just a real depiction of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial son, uh, that he wants to reveal the Father's heart, that he uh, wants to be obedient to whatever the Father asks of him. And you just see time and time again through his story that he is not only the seed of the promise, but he is about fulfilling the promise through his obedience. And you see just an incredible picture there. And then last week, we talked about this unnamed servant, a guy who we believe uh, is an, a guy named Elizer. He is the helper, the comforter uh, to his masters. And so he serves not only Isaac, which you see in verse 65, but he makes it his business about serving Abraham. And you see that that is exactly what he wants to do. He wants to make sure that he comforts and he helps them accomplish the specific purpose which they have have in mind. And in Genesis chapter 24, there's one purpose, and that is find a bride for the bridegroom. And Elizer makes it his business about doing that. And then the final character of this story, one that if you've read through this a hundred times, you probably didn't think a whole lot about. You thought it was a cute story, really good. There's a picture of uh, Abraham, his son Isaac, they're going to get a bride. This unnamed servant's going to do that, and he's going to get Rebecca. And we don't really think a lot about Rebecca other than, wow, this is nice. It's a cute love story. But the thing is, Rebecca is an amazing, amazing woman. And I hope that you see it today because she is a picture of the bride of Christ. 
Now, if you're new to church today and you're going, what in the world is the bride of Christ? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, meaning that you put your faith in him at some point, you've turned from your sin and from the error of your ways, and you said, I want to follow Jesus with my life, my friends, you are now the bride of Christ. And so when I say the bride of Christ, it means all people who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's what the bride of Christ is. Awesome? Yes. Okay, let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into this text. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon this morning. Uh, We pray that uh, you would uh, lead us, that you would guide us, that you would speak to us, and that you would reveal to us something that we've never seen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Genesis chapter 24, if you remember verse 1 and following, uh, Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, and he has a purpose in mind of getting a bride for his son. Now get this, Abraham's like 140 years old, okay? Um, A lot older than many of us uh, ever, what, live, right? And so he's 140, and he realizes that his 40-year-old son, Isaac, doesn't have a bride. And he's a guy who goes, I'm supposed to pass on this lineage, and I'm supposed to be a blessing to all the nations of earth. Well, how's it going to happen unless my son has a bride? Because if he doesn't get married soon, then we have no grandchildren running around. And his wife actually has already died. And so Sarah's dead. And so he's beginning to ponder, what should I do? He calls his servant into the household and he says, I need you to make an oath to me. And I need you to make an oath before God that you're going to do something for me. And his servant says, whatever it is, master, you, you tell me, what do I need to do? And he said, I want you to go back to my homeland and I want you to get a bride for my son. And then he gives him two rules. And he says, the very first thing you need to know, Eliza, is this. You cannot get a bride for my son here. Like, there's not a woman here in the land of Canaan that's going to work. And so you have to go back to my relatives, back to my homeland, find a bride, and bring her back. And then the servant asks, well, what happens if she refuses to come? Like, what happens, master, if, if they won't let her come back? Should I get your son Isaac and take him? And Abraham says to the servant, no, you are not to take my son anywhere. Why? Because it was Genesis 12. It was the promise that God had blessed this, this people with a land and that he was to stay right here because this is the land. And so he said to the servant, Elijah, he said, if indeed you go and you find the, the woman that God has for my son and they will not allow her to come back, then you're off of the oath. The oath is undone. You, you're no longer bound to what you've said. And Eliezer says, great. And in verse 10, you see that he gets 10 camels, he gets his men together, and he sets off to a distant land pursuing a bride. And he gets there and he arrives, and guess what? He starts praying right away. And his prayer is simply this, Lord, I don't know what it is that you want me to do other than to find a wife for my master Abraham. And Lord, I don't, I don't even know what I'm looking for, but God, I'm just going to ask. And he throws out this prayer, and he says, Lord, would you show me a woman who comes out to the spring to water? And as she's watering, would you show me a woman who offers water not only to me, not only to my servants and our our men, but Lord, would you show us a woman that she would lower her water jar and she would water all of our camels too? And Lord, if, if that happens, maybe God, you would show us that she's the one. Well, check it out. Let's, look, let's pick up in verse 15. Before he had finished praying. And so he's in the middle of this. Like he is praying this prayer. And before he had finished, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. 
She was the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. And the woman was very beautiful. She was a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. And she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. And the servant hurried to meet her and said, "'Please give me a little water from your jar.'" Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had began to drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough camels or drew enough water for all of his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Now, like we we look at this and we go, wow, that's awesome, that's neat. Like, like we just fail to see all that she does here. Like she is a servant among servants. Like, when's the last time that you watered camels for a couple hours? You know what I'm talking about? Yes? Yes? Like, I mean, you see that like, she's not just interested in just taking care of her husband-to-be or this, you know, this man, the servant that's even come to pursue her. Like, she's just a servant. She takes care of him, and then she says, and let me just water everything. And so literally, for her to water 10 camels means that she waters a long time, and she continues to do that. All the while, I find it amazing in verse 21 that the whole time the servant Elijah is just watching because even though he's prayed this prayer... And even though the prayer has almost come to fruition just as he prayed it, right? I mean, she's done everything that he asked the Lord to show him that she would do, but he still watches and he still waits. Basically, just because the door opened, he's like, it doesn't mean that we walk through it. And, And he waits and he just watches. And then look at verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring, weighing a becca, and two gold bracelets, weighing 10 shekels. Now, y'all didn't catch this, did you? Like, we've, been, we've read this story, and we've read this story, and we've read this story, and you didn't catch it, did you? Y'all haven't seen it. In verse 21, he watches closely to see what happens. In verse 22, he gives her a big old gold nose ring, right? Awesome. Yes? Like, I think we should go away from wedding rings and back to nose rings. I think that would be fabulous. Yeah? Any ladies in here? Like, no, yeah, no, that's not working. But you know that something happens between verse 21 and 22. Here it is. And this is the first of five things I want to show you about the bride of Christ. The very first one is here in verses 21 and 22. In between it, she learns of the son through his representative. You got me? Like there's a conversation here that takes place, and you don't see it. We, we don't know about it. You don't, but here's what I do know. Eliza did not show up that day. He did not have his men watered, and then uh, he enjoys water at the well. He's kicked back, watches all the camels get water, and then all of a sudden just go, oh, here's your nose ring and some bracelets. That didn't happen. So what did happen? During the time in which she is watering, he is obviously watching her, and there is some sort of conversation that had to have taken place. Because you don't just go to your bag of goodies and go, hey, by the way, I've got a master back in uh, Canaan that would love to have you as his wife. Like You don't do that. There's, there's a conversation, there's a pursuing that's taking place. And the reason I, I know that is that she is going to leave in a few minutes, and she's going to run back to her house, and she's going to tell her brother, all that's happened. Well, how does she know what's happened? Because there was a conversation. Now, it's not unusual that this happens. If you remember in John chapter 4, you even know that there was a woman at the well. And the woman at the well was sitting at the well, and she was, uh, 
She had come, she was from the area of Samaria, which was kind of a half-breed nation. She'd come to draw water at noon by herself because even in her own culture, she was an outcast and no other women would ever come at noon, but she did by herself. And she gets there and Jesus happens to be making his way to Judea, but he goes through Samaria and he stops at this well and this woman approaches and he says, can you please give me something to drink? And as they begin to have this conversation he, he begins to ask about some things, and he begins to ask about her husband, and she says, I don't have a husband. And he goes, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five, and now you're on your sixth husband. And he just begins to show you some different things. But the incredible thing is, is that in this story, you see her life has changed. And although you don't get to see the conversation, we know her life has to be changed because at one point she's sitting there saying that we worship on this mountain and the Jews worship on that mountain. You go to Jerusalem, we stay here at Mount Ebal and Gerasim, and he, they're having this conversation, and all of a sudden, in the story, she leaves and she goes and tells all the townspeople about who she's met. The interesting thing, though, is that you never ever get to see the conversion story. Like, there's a verse in there that we would go, wow, it must be missing. But I wish I would have had a camera. I wish I would have been able to just watch the whole thing go down because you and I don't know. All we know in this case, in, in Genesis chapter 24, is there's a conversation that had to have taken place. And all we know in the case of John chapter 4 is that there had to have been a conversation that takes place. Why? Because the woman goes away changed. Why? Because Rebecca in this story goes and she tells her brother all that happens. And so whatever it is you see right here that, look, She's learning of the representative is telling her about the son. Do y'all realize that's what happens in our Christian faith? Like you and I did not ever naturally get up one day and go, I'm just going to worship God forever. Like you didn't do that. Like, and I'll talk to people a lot of times and I'll go, so like when did you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And they'll go, well, I've always been a Christian. Like, what do you mean you've always been a Christian? Like, why? Well, I've always kind of believed in God. Like, no, 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 no. I don't think you and I understand this. You did not one day just naturally get up and go, I believe in God and I'm going to serve Jesus Christ all my life. That didn't happen. That's not a natural response to man. A natural, a natural man in his flesh is a sinner and he what? He is set in his own ways. He wants to do what he wants to do. He wants to be who he wants to be. He wants to be in charge, wants to be in control. And unless the Spirit of the Lord intersects your life, you're going to continue on a path to what? Make your name famous. The challenge is, is what happens is when the transfer takes place and the Holy Spirit swoops in, he begins to woo you, pursue you, draw you unto what? The Son. That's when things get interesting. Why? Because there's a proposal that's going to be made. Matter of fact, Paul, if you don't believe me, I think he says it best to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 through 10. Look at it with me. No, we declare God's wisdom. It's a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Do you see this? Like the things of God are a mystery. You didn't just learn them. Like, you, you didn't just stumble upon them one day in your own wisdom. Like, you didn't get up one day and go, you know what, I think I'm just going to do everything that God wants me to do today. It didn't happen like that. The Spirit of God pursues you. He reveals to you the mysteries that are destined for you even before the world began. So that before you ever woke up, God was pursuing you, wooing you, right, to come into a relationship with Him. And so what happened between verses 21 and 22? Y'all ready for this? There was a proposal that was made. 
Eliza shows her, tells her about the servant's master, about who it is that he serves. He makes a proposal to her in which she clearly will accept. She becomes a part of the mystery. Then look at verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 2. It says, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God revealed to us by his Spirit. And so the reason that you and I pursue God, love God, is because the Spirit of God is revealing to us who his Son is. Amen? Do y'all get this? That's pretty big. Like that's, a, like, that's a pretty big deal. You didn't just wake up one day and go, you know what? I think I'm going to get married to the Savior today. You didn't do that. Rebecca did not stumble out to the well going, I think I'm going to go off to a distant land today. I think I'm going to go marry a guy I've never heard of. She didn't do that. She was heading to the well, and before she was ever, ever going and on her own or she knew what was happening, what? The servant was pursuing her, and she didn't even realize it. And that's what the Spirit of God is doing. He's pursuing and he's wooing, and many of us don't even see it. Look at what happens in verse 23. After he gives her a gold nose ring, weighing a becca, right? What's a becca, right? Uh, two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. There's a payment made. Then he asks, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the, the son of Milcah, bore to Nahor. And then she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. And then the man bowed down and he worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who's not abandoned his kindness and his faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. And the young woman then runs, and he told her mother's household about these things. Do you see this? About what things? About the conversation that took place, about the servant pursuing her, and about him uh, revealing to her, her about all the master's good things. Now Rebekah, verse 29, had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. And as soon as he heard, or as soon as he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm, he heard Rebekah tell uh, what the man had said to her. And he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. And initially, if you're a brother, right, you're like, what? Do what? Like, you're, you're doing what? I don't think so. I mean, you know, can you imagine the, the younger sister here, and you're Laban, and you're like, uh-uh, not happening. And I can, I can imagine he's kind of rolling up, and he's about to kind of have some words, right? And then he sees, wow, there's several men and ten camels. Uh, never mind. And then look at his response. <laughs> hey, what's up? Come. You're blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I've prepared a whole place for you and the camels. And so the man went, verse 32, to the house. The camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. The food was set before him. But then the servant said, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. Then Laban said, tell us. And so he sits down and he begins to have a conversation. And from 34 to 41, the servant just tells Laban and his family about the master. He tells them about how good he is. He tells them about everything that he said. And literally all he does is he begins to convey the master's heart in the 34 through 41. He just says, my master is good. 
He has a great plan, and not only does he have a great plan, he's set me out, and he's, he just shares all that's happened. Then, in verse 42, he shares with Laban and Bethuel, the, the, the father of Rebekah, all that had happened at the spring. And look what he says. I came to the spring today, and the Lord, I said to the Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside the spring, and if a young woman comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar, and she says to me, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that the Lord has chosen for my master's son. That happened? Yes, it happened. Before I had finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. And she quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. That's a miracle. Do you all understand that? Like, who does that? Who does that? Like, I mean, we, we're like, yeah, you, you, know, you can get your own drink. There's a water fountain right over there. What you? But she takes and she not only waters him, the men, but she's like, hey, while I'm at it, let me go ahead and just go ahead and provide for all your camels too. What a fantastic woman. Like, teenagers, this is what you're looking for. Get your camel, man, and she'll water it. Then go, yeah, hey, well, we're, let's talk. You know what I'm saying? She quickly lowers her jar. She says, drink, I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. Verse 47, I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Nahor, whom Milka bore to him. Then I put the gold rose, uh, the nose ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms. I bowed down and I worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you'll show me kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, so I will know which way to turn. He basically says, now listen, I have proposed to her. She said yes. It's very clear that I've given her a payment. But listen, I, I need to know from you as father, as brother, will you let her go? Because if not, then save me the time. I need to, I need to be about my master's business. And look what they said. This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. And when Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and her mother. You see this? And he begins to lavish gifts on them. Why? Because that's what God does when he buys you. He lavishes you with gifts, spiritual gifts, comfort, all the things that you need, he takes care of. Amen? Yes? Then 50, verse 54, Then he and the men who were with him, they ate and they drank and they spent the night there. Then they got up the next morning and he said, Send me on my way to my master. Then her brother and her mother replied, Well, hey, hey, hold on. Before you get ahead of yourself, let the girl remain here with us for 10 days or so. Then you may go. And then he said to them, Do not detain me. Now the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. Do you see what he said? He says, Send us on our way. The master has called. We've lavished gifts. He's ready for his bride to come. He's ready for the bride to come. And then look what they said. Let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, Will you go with this man? And what did she say? I will go, an emphatic, yes, I will. Now, here's the deal. I've only given you one thing that reminds you about the bride of Christ. Y'all ready for the previous four? 
or for the next four. I mean, they're right here. Look, she had to leave her old life behind to be what? Joined with the son. Does that sound like us? Yes. Like that's the cool thing about this woman, Rebecca. And the awesome thing is too, is that not only does she feel like she needs to leave her old life behind, she's going to do it without ever seeing this guy. Like, I find it amazing in this text that she didn't say, hey, uh, Mr. Servant, uh, uh, what's your name? Uh, isn't it, it's, a, it's Eliza, right? Eliza? Do you have a wallet? Like, maybe, maybe you got a picture of him? Like, can I just see, like, can I just see what he looks like first? Like, I mean, does he, he doesn't have, like, too much of a forehead, does he? Like, is his no, like he got a big nose, big... Uh, like, can you, can you, like, was he really good in, like, basketball growing up? Can, I'm like, can, you got to tell me a little bit. Of, I mean, do you see what, I mean, she's not asking all these questions about, okay, is, is, what's he look like? What's our kids going to look like? I mean, how, you know, how's this all going to go down? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, all the things that ladies are worried about, like, she doesn't ask any of these questions. She just simply says, I'll go. And the question is, is why will she leave her old life behind without ever seeing this son? Can I tell you why? Are y'all ready for this? It's because she clearly sees and understands that all that the servant has done represents the master and his goodness. And she believes that the master will provide for her a life that she's never found where she was at her, on her own. Did you see that? My friends, that is why you come to a life in Jesus Christ. Like Jesus Christ is not the life we find simply because you don't want to go to hell. The reason that you come to the Son, although you've never seen Him, although you've never looked at Him face to face, like I don't know about you, but I've never seen Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Outside of that Tito that was sold on eBay a few years ago. You know what I'm talking about? And I, I don't know if that's Him or not. But the, what I do know is this is that the Spirit has wooed me and drawn me, and what I've learned of Jesus through this comforter, the Holy Spirit, living in my life is this, that a life with Jesus is far better than a life that I've made on my own. Like, it doesn't make sense for me to continue to waller in the things that I've created for myself when I can go over here and enjoy all the things that God has for me through His Son, Jesus Christ. My sin is paid for. I have victory through the cross. I no longer stumble through life wondering what I should do because now I have the perfect comforter and helper who leads me to what? All I should do, when I should do it, and why I should do it. Like, I don't just stumble out on my own. Like, there's never a point in time in our church that I'll make a decision and I won't be led by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it would be foolish for me to make a decision on behalf of our entire church that's not from God. Do you understand that? And so it's the same that's true for all of us. If we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it means that you, what? Leave your old life behind and you pursue him in a new one. Why? Because he is good and he is faithful. John chapter 20, verse 29 says that Jesus would tell a guy, he says, because you've seen me, you have believed, and blessed are those who have not seen and yet have what? Believed. You got this? Even the woman of the well, you, you remember me telling the story about her just a second ago in John chapter 4? The interesting thing is that when she goes to the town, do you know what she tells the town people? Come and see, I found the Messiah. Did you see what she said? Come and see. Isn't that so different than what we want? We want to see and come. Well, let me see him first. Then maybe I'll come to him. 
ah, let me, let me just, let me kind of, you know, no, let me, let me do this first, and then maybe I'll come. That's not the response of Rebecca. Rebecca never sees, but she leaves her old life to what? Be united with the Son. That is the picture of the bride of Christ, my friends. It's to see and come. Uh, I, I love a story. I, uh, Evan Anderson is a guy that uh, God has totally changed his life. If you don't know Evan, one of, the, one of these days we're going to shoot his testimony story. But I had a privilege of sharing the gospel with him on a really uh, early morning. Uh, we, we ate downtown at uh, used to be just the Bluebird, and uh, we were sitting there, and he was eating and I was talking. And I was just sharing with him about what it looked like to leave his old life behind. And Evan came up to me last week, and the reason I share this story is because I was talking about what it looks like to leave your old life behind. And he said, Brandon, I get it. And he said, I, I get it. He said, it was, it was that morning that you shared with me all that God had for me, and that Jesus had done so much to buy me and to, to have a relationship with me. And he said, I couldn't get it off of me. I just couldn't get it off of me. And he said, I got in the car and I was heading to work and he, he works in Greenville. And so it's about a 35 minute drive. And he said, I'm just driving. And all I could think about is that I need a relationship with Jesus Christ, that he's made a proposal. And he said, I could just feel his spirit just drawing me and just telling me, leave all that junk behind and follow me. Leave it all. Follow me. And he said, there was just this wage going on, this war in my car. And he said, until I could not do it anymore. And he said, I had to pull over into that ditch. And he said, I couldn't get to work. And he said, because the Spirit of God was pursuing me. And he was saying that the Master is good. And he's given me all these wonderful gifts. He wants to lavish them on me. He wants to protect me. He wants to be with me for all my life. And he said, I finally realized that it's time for me to leave my old junk behind. And he said, right there, then and there, in that ditch, between halfway from here to Greenville, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And he said, and I've not ever been able to get him off of me. My friends, that's the picture, and that's what Rebecca did. She said, I'm willing to leave my old life because I believe that the master is good and that he has something better for me. And so you see in verse 59, so they sent off their sister Rebecca on her way, and along with the nurse and uh, all of Abraham's servants and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the city of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. And so the servant then took Rebecca and left. And then there they go. Now, you see, you and I don't even think much about this. Like, you've read this, we've heard this. This is the third week that we've read this story. That they say, Hey, may you be blessed. Now, let's mount up these camels and let's go. But do you realize that in order to meet the, the son that you have to journey with the servant beforehand? Do you know that? That's where we are right now. Did you know that? Like we are journeying right now. And they had 500 mile trek is what they had. Like you just read over that casually. Like it's in your Bible reading plan and you're like, oh, that's fantastic. They mount the camels and they go 500 miles on a camel. What? That doesn't even sound fun for me. I'm like, are we going to stop at a Motel 6 on the way? Like, I mean, are they going to leave the light on for us? I mean, camel? Like, we can't do, like, you don't have anything besides a camel. 500 miles? How long is this going to take? Are we going to get to shower on the way? Like, this doesn't even sound fun. Like, this journey sounds kind of miserable. And you're telling, why in the world does she do this hard trek and this, this crazy journey? 500 miles on a camel with many, many, many inconveniences. Why? Because she believes that the sun is worth it. 
Do y'all realize that right now that you are on that same journey? So here's what's happened. God's pursued you. He's made an offer, a proposal to you to come into a right relationship with the Father through His Son. And that He has given you the Son, and that if you will put Him, uh, you'll believe in Him, then guess what? You'll follow Him, then He'll seal you for the day of redemption. A day in which you finally get to see the Son face to face. But until that, what? You're entrusted to the servant. You're entrusted to His care. His name is the Holy Spirit. And he what? He seals you for the day of redemption. And not only that, he is what's helping you move forward in your life. But the thing is this, is that your thought and my thought oftentimes is this. Well, if I have Jesus in my life, then everything should get easy. No, 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 no. That's garbage. Rebecca's 500-mile trek was not easy. It was not comfortable at all. And here's what's happening in our culture. And I want you to understand this. There is hardship. Because the son's worth it. There is suffering. As a matter of fact, Paul writes it to the church in uh, Philippians this way. He says, this is my prayer, Philippians 1, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless over the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He says, I am training you for righteousness. Peter says it this way. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3-9, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Has he done that? Yes, amen. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Amen? Like, you don't lose it. You journey, and it's there. It's coming. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by, shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You're going to see him face to face. But catch this. Look what he says. But in all of this you greatly rejoice, though for an, now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs and all kinds of trials. You mean to tell me that I might get cancer? Yeah, you might. You, you may not, I, may, I may struggle in some relationships. Yes, you might. You mean to tell me that things may not be easy? I thought, that, I thought that God would never, ever give me more than I could handle. Where did you hear that? That's not in the Bible. Did you hear that? I'm, it's not in the Bible. Do you know what the Lord will do? He'll never give you more than He can handle. He says, but until the day you meet me face to face, you may suffer some heartaches and some trials, and it may not be easy. But these have come so that, you're, that, what? that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, right? You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so the question is this. Does God cause all of that? No. God doesn't cause all of it, but he'll use it. And he'll use it, what? To produce faith in you so that the day that you finally see the sun, you're ready for it. And the whole idea here is this, is that until then, the cool thing is, is that he says, I'll never leave nor forsake you. Did you hear that? 
Like you're never, ever alone. The servant has been entrusted to your care. And until you see your son, the Son of God face to face, you are entrusted to his care. And he has everything you need. Why? Because if you want to see Jesus, look at the Holy Spirit. If you want to see God, look at the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's an exact replica of what you see in Jesus. They are what you call the Trinity. They are one. Though they are distinct in their personalities and their roles, there is unity and there is order although there's diversity. And so you see what he's done. That Look what happens. Now Isaac had come from Bir Laharoi. He was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. And this is the classic love story. You got it? He looks up and sees her. She looks up and sees him. She got down from her camel, asked the servant, who is this man that's coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. And so she took her veil and she covered herself. And then the word in, in the Hebrew, it's, it's not there, but there, it, I think is the word frolicking. And that's what they do. They frolic after each other in the field. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all remember that classic love scene? I mean, he's running. She takes her veil and covers her and she's running towards him. And the question is, is like, why in the world did she even cover herself with the veil? Like, why did she do that? Like, why not? Just, because she wanted to be pure. That's why she did it. She wanted to make sure that she was pure. And that's the thing is that she desired to meet her son with purity. Did you realize in verse 16, it said that she was what? A pure woman. She was a virgin, never been with a man. She was what? Respected. She had great character. And she wanted to show her new husband this. She wanted to be pure. Guys, that's what we're doing in this day and time. Did y'all realize that? Like, that's what, like you hear over and over and over again that all they want us to do is, is just, I mean, be faithful, be pure. Like, can't, no, 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 I don't have another message. That's the only message I have. Like, you, Brandon, I mean, you say this all the time. That's what it is. Do y'all understand that I preach the same message every week? Do you get that? Yes. No, are y'all with me? Every week, it's the same. All I have to do is do a character study. I have to kind of get back into the... But the bottom line is this. Here's the, here it is. Y'all ready for this? You were a sinner far off from God. He pursued you through the Holy Spirit so that you come in right relationship with His Son. He offers a proposal. You accept. You follow Him. You say, He's worth leaving my old life behind for a new one in Jesus Christ. You leave and you follow Him until the day that you see Him face to face, until He sees you and He brings you to Himself, where right now He's preparing a place for you. John 14. You're living faithfully and pure for Him. You're waiting for the day, expecting that this could be His return. Did you get up this morning expecting that this could be His return? My guess is no. Because you're, you're like, oh yeah, I think it's there. I think it, uh. Every day, why? Because he's coming after his bride. And what, what happens? All we do is we live faithfully until that day happens. And that's exactly what she does. She veils herself for the day of purity. Why? Because she wanted to be presented as a chaste virgin to him. Paul says the same thing to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, verses 2 and 3, he says, I am what? Jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him or a chaste virgin. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the servant's cunning, uh, you and your minds somehow have been led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Do you see what he says? He says, I want to present you as blameless and pure to Christ. He has given up so much for you, but he says, Corinth, you seem to be wandering. You seem to be going all these other directions. Come back. 
to your first love. Why? Because we want to be ready for the day. And that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 66. The servant told Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah, so she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Do you see that? She was loved and cared for by the son. Do you see this? And that's exactly what God is doing. He wants, to, he wants to love and care for you. Right now, he's doing it through the Holy Spirit, but one day you're going to meet his son face to face. And my friends, it's called the great wedding feast. It's the day in which you and I will stand face to face with Jesus Christ, and you will no longer be praying for joy, for joy will have arrived. You will no longer need peace and prayer for peace because peace is there. You've experienced it in its fullness. You will no longer need comfort because you get all the comfort you need right there. You will no longer need healing because there is no more pain. There is no more sorrow. Why? Because the final consummation of the perfect relationship with the Son and all of His goodness has now arrived, and you stand face to face with Him. And that's the picture. And that's what we long for. And the thing is, is that Jesus, he promised us in John chapter 10 that he's the good shepherd, right? But can you imagine what that looks like in eternity? That you never go hungry, that that there's never a need that you don't have. He takes care of you. He provides for you. He protects you. He does all that. And he's doing it now, but there's one day that you're, you're cared for and you never have another problem in the world. You never are ever concerned with it again. But do you realize that right now that that's not where we are completely? While he's caring for us, comforting us, and he's pursuing us, and he is abiding in us, and he's protecting us through what? The Holy Spirit and through his own love? The fact is, is life gets harder, right? Yes, it does. There's more bills to pay. There's more pain to come until we see what? Jesus face to face. And that's what we all await for. And the question really is with the one minute that I have left is this. What does that mean for us? Like, what does that mean for us in marriage? Well, I'd say that just as you embark out, Genesis 2, 24, for this reason, a man leaves his father, be united with his wife as they become one flesh. Why do you do that? Well, first of all, you do it so you'll leave your old life behind. That's it. One of the greatest challenges for you as you embark on marriage with another person is to leave your old life behind. What does that mean? It means leave your old life behind. One of the most damaging things in relationships and marriages is when you fail to leave the old life behind. I, I see it especially happening with couples that have been married for less than five years. And the reason why is because they still, in a problem, they call mommy or daddy. Hey, I, I, he's done this. He's done this again. He's done this again. He's done this again. Well, she did this. Well, she did this. In a sense, you almost have several people that are in this relationship. And the reason that you leave your father and mother to become united one flesh is so that you would walk beside each other with the help of God. And my prayer is that you would protect that. The second thing is you should desire purity in our lives and marriage just because we reflect Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean? It means that we only let things that are worthy into our marriage circle. That means that there are no outside sources. I like to call those with marriages and particularly with couples and counseling escape hatches. There are no escape hatches in marriage. It means that when you get in the bunker together, you don't have a door over here to another relationship. There's not a door that you can go back home to mommy and daddy. There's not another door over here that you can leave to, or, or even for that matter, bring someone else to the bunker with you. That means, let me just put in explicit terms for you, that means no outside sources at all. It's God and you and your spouse. That's it. There's no internet, there's no videos, there's no anything that takes your marriage and makes it impure before the Holy Father. 
Period. Why? Because he has called you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so he says, protect that with all your heart. If you have a wonder, like, okay, should we do this? Should we not do this? Is this acceptable in our marriage? Is this not acceptable in our marriage? Let me just give you a quick guide. Philippians 4.8 is the perfect guide. Y'all ready for it? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned, received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And so the question is, is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Ask yourself those questions. If it's not, let's not do it. Amen? And the last one is this, that you journey together until you meet the bridegroom. Let me just close with this. Y'all ready for this? Your soulmate is not the person that you've married. God did not put one person on the planet for you just to marry because he was your soulmate. Who is your soulmate? It's Jesus Christ, the Son. And so if you'll give all of your heart to him, then your marriage will be fine. But I'll tell you, the most fun in marriage is when both parties give all of your heart to Jesus Christ. Not some of it, not a little bit of it. The most frustrating thing in marriage is when one side says, I want to pursue God and I want everything that he has for us. And then the other one goes, "Ah, I'll do it halfway. or "Ah, I don't know. I'm not interested. It's just not much fun. It's actually a, a, a beating. Why? Because you're not both pursuing. And so the best thing is to pursue the bride groom as if you what want him to be a part of your marriage that's when marriage gets really good and don't do it for me do it for what the fact that you believe the son has more for you than what you could ever have on your own and that's the idea let me pray for us father i thank you for this morning i pray god that you would just meet us where we are and uh, father for many of us in here lord would you just remind us what it looks like to leave our old life behind that we would trust in the son named Jesus Christ that we've never seen. And Father, would we be held in you and would we be comforted in you? Would we be brought together in you based off of what you've done, not based off of what we've done? Father, I pray that you would show us what it looks like to leave our old lives behind, that we would desire purity in marriage and in our lives, and that we would journey together until we see Jesus face to face, that we meet our true bridegroom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.